Tell you, we've been blessed as a church uh, when we have people out of town, like we have a group of 40 at NYR, National Youth Roundup, this weekend, or this whole week, really. Uh, we have folks that can lead us in worship, and we're grateful for uh, folks doing that. Isaac and his family, and uh, Stephen, his family, all of them are out there, and, and it's good to have a deep bench. The Lord's brought us uh, great folks to, to serve in our worship ministry. We're grateful for them. You know, it's hard to overstate the importance of bread in human civilization, uh, at least before the last hundred or so years. It's why the Bible talks about bread as being so important. Jesus said, as he was tempted by the devil to turn the stones into bread, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in Jesus, when he taught us how to pray, he said, you are to pray, give us this daily bread. Bread was a staple. It was the, the foundational element of most people's diet. In fact, for a lot of human history, people have subsisted on bread and whatever they could catch and water. Uh, bread was uh, very crucial to society most of our existence. You can see that by the fact if you ever uh, are tempted to do an Atkins diet, a, a low-carb diet, see how quickly you miss bread. I would really miss some some of that Italian herb ciabatta bread, man, that's some good stuff right there. Put a little olive oil and balsamic vinegar. I'm making some of you hungry now, right? So bread is, is a really, um, it's so important and in the, throughout history. Therefore, that's made bakers important. In the mid-15th century, they had a problem, though. You see, before machines, before the, the precision of machined instruments, uh, bakers basically uh, made their own bread, and then they, they, it was very much full of the human element. Uh, bakers typically would uh, make their breads and, and rolls, rows of four, three across, so you would have 12, a dozen uh, pieces of bread, a dozen rolls, a dozen buns, so on. And, and so that was a typical way that bread was sold all throughout history. And, and in the mid-15th century, some bakers... Uh, were, they gave in to the temptation of, of greed, and they figured out if, if we made these rolls a little less wide and a little less high, if we used less flour and yeast, and, then our profit margin would go up. So much so that, that people began to suspect them. Now, uh, typically, society had put their trust in the bakers to, to provide for them, but they began to suspect them, and, and eventually, uh, laws were passed where it became illegal. You know, for bakers to shortchange their customers at the, the risk of, of having fines or pri even prison time uh, because you were dishonest in your merchandising of your bread. Do you know that's where uh, it came from, this concept we have of a baker's dozen? Uh, to avoid any appearance of impropriety, bakers began to just throw in an extra loaf or an extra, extra bun to make sure they gave their customers enough. A baker's dozen, even today, refers to 13. I thought that's interesting. But even more, what I want you to, to grasp from me talking about that is, is that that relationship and the society was built on trust. People needed bread to survive. And so they trusted the bakers to provide for them in an honest way. And that, that trust was violated. And therefore, it grieved the society. You know, God trusts each person who comes to Christ 
who comes to faith in Jesus, he places in every person a very important trust. What do I mean by that? Well, when you come to Christ, uh, basically it is, a, it is a turning point of realizing that maybe you don't always do things God, uh, the way God wants you to. Maybe you do things he doesn't want you to do, or you don't do things he wants you to do. The Bible calls that sin. Amartya, it's missing the mark. That sin is a problem because sin requires punishment or consequences. That's foundational injustice. And there's no real way to overcome the punishments for sin against God. (coughs) That sin is death, except one. God provided for that in sending Jesus. So as a person grows to understand and own their sin, they confess it to God. They turn away from that sin called repentance. And they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. A great blessing God has given us Jesus. That we might have him as Lord and Savior. Then we're baptized into him. At which time Acts 2.38 tells us there are two things that come to us. One is the forgiveness of sin. Two is the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you that's the trust i'm talking about as you come to christ he gives you the holy spirit to live inside of you we sang about the holy spirit but oftentimes we don't talk enough about the holy spirit the holy spirit is part of the trinity it's really amazing it's almost mystical but but god gives his holy spirit to live inside each of us now what does the spirit do One thing I tell you, the the Spirit never contradicts the Word of God or the personality and character of God. But the Spirit, we're encouraged to fill us. Uh, We're encouraged to let the Spirit lead us. And I tell you, I begin every day by praying, Lord, let me get out of the way, and I want your Spirit to be in control. I want your Spirit to lead me. Because even though the Spirit comes to live in you, you can choose not to do things that the Spirit wants you to do. You can choose to, to go against the spirit that's why you can be a christian and still do horrible things against god and against other people well we don't want that to happen and and in fact what i'm saying to you is just as the society's trust in bakers was shaken by their dishonesty just as they were grieved by the violation of their trust so also god can be grieved we've come to the point in our study of ephesians where we're looking at Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. And I think this passage gives us, it lines out for us, marks of the Holy Spirit. In other words, evidence, testimony of the Holy Spirit living in us, marks that the Holy Spirit is uh, in control in our lives, that we are living lives filled with, led by the Spirit. And these marks... Uh, are put to us in a negative way. The key thought in this passage is in verse 30, and it says this, uh, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Sealed means God entrusted you as a depository. Uh, God marked you with, as one of his own by giving you the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And obviously, if he says do not grieve the Spirit, that means we can Grieve the Spirit. How do we grieve the Spirit? It's by not living in the way 
that he wants us to. It's about not embracing, not giving evidence of the marks of the Spirit in us and through us. And I have five of those, five marks of the Spirit in this passage. First, the first mark of the Spirit is honesty. Honesty. You see, those bakers were dishonest. Therefore, people uh, began to lose trust in them. And when you think about it, honesty is the foundation of any relationship. It's the foundation of marriage. It's the foundation of the family unit between parent and child. It's the foundation of a workplace with boss and employees and co-workers to co-workers. It's the foundation of any healthy relationship. And, and what happens when people are dishonest, it undermines, it shatters, it breaks that trust, doesn't it? Now, listen, if that happens, if you are in that kind of situation now, maybe where you've lost trust in somebody, it can be rebuilt. But make no mistake, the only way to rebuild it is by making commitment to being honest. And God, through his spirit, uh, will lead us to be honest. Verse 25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. What he's saying is, if we want to be in relationship with others in the body, if we want to have healthy relationships, we've got to be honest. We've got to be truthful. <laughs> it is a challenge, isn't it? But but God wants us to do that with one another. In fact, in verse 15 of chapter 4, we talked about a couple weeks ago. He says, instead speak the truth in love. He wants us uh, to be that, that true speaker, but, but not just flaming it out, being compassionate and loving. It's important. It's actually key for us. We want to have healthy relationships, to be honest. Second mark is to have positive speech is to have positive speech. He tells us this in verse 29, uh, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Very important there. That Greek word unwholesome means perverting or corrupting. Don't let any perverting or corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But, but it is so easy, isn't it, to to bring out words that maybe they're out of frustration, maybe they're out of anger, but words that tear down those around us, often those closest to us. The Holy Spirit, if we allow him to fill us and lead us, I believe he takes care of that, he filters our speech. You know, it's wonderful today to have filtration systems. You can get them in pictures, you can put them onto your water unit, uh, but here if you don't like the taste of the water, you're worried about impurities, you can, you can have a filtration system to, to clean out those impurities. The Holy Spirit, I think, as we allow him to lead us and fill us, he is evidenced by the way we talk to one another. Now listen, what he's saying here is this, these words need to always be dedicated to building up. What that means is it's not always compliments. It's not always just telling people positive things about what they're doing. That's very much a part of it. But it's also, I think, if, if we need to criticize somebody, we do it with the goal. We do it in the way of building that person up. It's constructive criticism, not destructive criticism. 
we think about this, I think very much the golden rule comes, comes into play. You know when somebody's uh, talking and criticizing you in a destructive way, don't you? Just as if, and you know when somebody's trying to tell you things for your good out of, and out of respect for your good. The Holy Spirit's going to lead us in the church as we interact with each other. It's going to lead us in marriage. It's going to lead us in family. If, if we allow the Spirit to control our speech, to lead our speech, then those are going to be words that are positive and encouraging. Even if they're challenging, they're going to be positive and encouraging. In fact, I think if you love somebody and you see something they're doing is, is not good for them, then you're going to tell, tell them that. You're going to speak that truth in love. It's going to be to build up, right? This is a, a challenge for you. So I want to ask you this week to think about. For this week, let's just break it into a small, manageable chunk. For this week, I want you to seek opportunities, windows, to build up others with your words. To build up others and not to tear them down. If you must criticize this week, to make sure those words are to, to build up. They're constructive. They're not out of frustration. They're not out of anger. Okay? That's the second mark of the Spirit. Third mark of the Spirit is confidence. Confidence. Verses 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the, the devil a foothold. And then verse 31 Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. <laughs> Some of you now are going, well, you said the mark was confidence. All that talks about is don't get angry, right, or dealing with anger. Well, that's very intentional because through the years I've come to understand that our anger, particularly unrighteous anger, it so often comes from insecurity. It so often comes from a lack of confidence, a lack of understanding the promises of God for us who believe. What do I mean by that? We often get angry <clears throat> about situations where we feel like we're losing control. We get angry because we feel like we are losing control. We have to prove ourselves or we have to take control of the situation, right? God says to us that that the righteous and the unrighteous are going to both live here on the earth. That, that sometimes evil is going to happen and be here and, and we can't change that. In fact, sometimes those people who don't live for God are going to look like they're very blessed. But as you grow in, in maturity, as you allow the Spirit to lead you, I think you start to understand that, that God's going to sort all that out. And as you start to understand the promises of God, you know that your confidence should be in him and his promises that will be true in your life. Matthew 6, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will provided, be provided to you. 1 Corinthians 15 says, We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not nakedness, not famine, not peril, not sword. See, I'm telling you, anger, the kind of anger we often have, you check it next time you get angry. Ask yourself, is that coming from a place of insecurity? 
Is it coming of a place where I feel like I'm losing control? Probably will be. And God's answer to that is to find our confidence in him, to find our security in him. Then we don't feel like we have to take control because God is in control. See? Now, the only kind of anger we are supposed to have, I believe, is righteous anger. What do I mean by that? I mean, we should only get angry about the things God gets angry about. When somebody in a position of power abuses that power or abuses a person, the Old Testament is all about how God's people should be seeking justice, how God's people should make sure that social justice is the norm, it prevails. That God's people should make sure those who are borrowing don't have to pay an exorbitant rate of interest. That those who are hungry get fed. That those who have need see those needs met by those that have extra. See, that's the kind of stuff God gets mad about. You see Jesus get mad for about what? In the New Testament, you see him get mad when people, money changers, are, are taking advantage of people that are coming to worship by charging them these outrageous prices for doves and lambs, the things they're to sacrifice to God. And so Jesus, he, he pits his old-fashioned hissy fit. Y'all know what that is? That in Georgia, we call that a hissy fit. I mean, he he up, turns the tables and he, I mean, he shows everybody that that's not acceptable for the people of God. Jesus also got it very angry and agitated. His harshest words were reserved for the Pharisees, people who should have known better, people who claimed to be God's people, God's leaders, yet they were dishonest, yet they were not seeing to the needs of the people. God cares about social justice. Those things we should get angry about. Most of what we get angry about is just jockeying for position. It's a lack of security. It's a lack of confidence in God holding true and making his promises come to bear in our lives. Third mark, or excuse me, fourth mark of the Spirit is productivity. Productivity. Likewise, you might say that verse is not about that. Verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Likewise, I think uh, we, if we cut corners, that's often where dishonesty in our actions, taking something that's not ours, taking credit for something that we didn't do, that's stealing, whether it's intellectual property or stealing physical property, it comes from us being lazy. It comes from us not understanding that life lived to its fullest is about service. It's about productivity. You see, I see no concept of retirement in Scripture. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not saying you, you can't change from a company or an employer to another. But even more, even when you have, no longer have need to work for wages, God has given you spiritual gifts He's given you unique abilities. He wants you to be using your gifts to better others, to serve others, to build up the kingdom of God, to build up the church. Every one of us will serve, hopefully. If we let the Spirit lead us, we will be productive. We will serve until we draw our last breath. 
Even if you're bedridden, you still can pray. You still can encourage. You still can lift others up. See, this is the marks. These marks are what God wants us to to strive for. And when we don't do those things, when we don't uh, have these qualities, I think it makes God sad. It grieves him. Fifthly, a mark of the Spirit, maybe the most most difficult uh, to exhibit, to live by, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Uh, Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We might think we're forgiving, but if a person that's hurt us, that's maybe betrayed us, that's irritated us, if that person comes to mind in my prayers and I would find it difficult to pray for God to be kind to them, I haven't forgiven them. If I'm in a conversation with friends and they begin to talk about that person, and I want to tell a person that people, what a terrible person that individual is, I haven't forgiven them. If a person I don't like enters a room and I leave because I don't like them, I haven't forgiven them. And if I can't leave the room, I can't get out, and I wouldn't be able to talk civilly to them or shake their hand, I haven't forgiven them. God is serious about this. If we allow his spirit full control in our life, he's going to lead us in the paths of forgiveness because that is what makes us different. The world lives by, if you're wronged, get even. God's people live by forgiving even our enemies. That can make all the difference, both for them, but even more for you. For bitterness, anger, holding grudges, it will poison you from the inside out. College professor was known for his elaborate object lessons. One day his students came into the class And on the table were a great pile of darts. And on the board was a target, a bullseye made of paper. And he said to them, I've given you all sheets of paper. I want you to draw a picture of a person that's angered you, or a person that you just don't like. And so they began to draw. One girl drew a picture of a girl that had stolen her boyfriend. A guy drew a picture of his little brother. One girl, one bold girl, drew a picture of the professor. Very well done. And as they got their pictures done, he said, I want you to take your pictures, and one by one, I want you to put them on the bullseye. And then I'm going to give you a chance to take those darts, and you throw them as hard as you want to at that person. I I want you to vent your anger. And the students lined up, and they started laughing, and, and I mean, they were really hurling them. And then the professor went to the board, took down their pictures, took down the target, and underneath was a picture of Jesus with all those dark marks in his face, in his eyes. 
hush came over the class. And he said, inasmuch as you have done to the least of these, Matthew 25, 40, you have done to me. God wants to set you free. And he's given you the Holy Spirit. The empowerment. The leading of his spirit. To turn away from these things. Which weigh us down. God wants to see in every one of us. Honesty. Speaking the truth in love. He wants to see in every one of us productivity, not having to steal or take credit dishonestly, but because we use our time wisely to serve others, we have that impact. He wants every one of us, every one of us to be positive in our speech, to build others up with our words and not tear down. He wants every one of us to not have to be angry because we're confident in him and in his promises. He wants every one of us to be forgiving, even if the others don't deserve it. I want to challenge you this week to try him at his word, to begin every day by saying, let me get out of the way. Holy Spirit, lead me today. And if we do, he'll produce these marks in your life. And instead of being grieved, I believe it brings a smile to God's face. When he says his children, his children turning away from self and turning to him. Father, we pray for these, uh, these realities, these marks that come into our lives through the work of your spirit. I pray today, Father, that we would not think as we've been conditioned to of excuses <laughs> about how that person wronged me or that person deserves it. But instead to think about the inner state of our heart when we're angry and bitter, when we cut corners, when we're dishonest. You, you want to change all that, take it all away from us and replace it with these great qualities. I pray, Father, that you're working in us, that this week will be a week of success, of us turning away from self and and allowing you to work through us. I pray this in Jesus' name.